Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. Couldn't you see the shape of your heart? Another feeling cut from the start Should I know a different way to go I could be fine Little taste of time, it's all mine Shouldn't you be the
That was a song called He Don't Need Love by Matt Weidinger. Matt just happens to be my very special guest this week. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. My guest this week is an amazingly talented singer, songwriter, and musician who burst onto the local scene at a very young age and made an impact right away. He's been part of several local bands, major music projects, as well as having two solo albums under his belt already, and he seems to be on a limitless mission of creativity. All right, joining me on Musicians FAQ this week, it's Matt Whitinger. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Stu. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been my pleasure, man. You've been involved in so many different projects with so many different artists and different bands, and and we were just talking about your solo stuff. So uh, before we get too far ahead, I just want to maybe go back to the roots and everything and talk a little bit about where you were born, what your childhood was like, and 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 how music sort of came to be in, in your life. Oh, yeah. Well, I was born in Kitchener. Um, early childhood, I, I guess I was a little bit of a maniac. I was kind of ADD and... Uh, running around and breaking stuff and, you know, being a little wild child. And I didn't have a lot of direction with what I wanted to do and what I liked. So probably, you know, early teens, I started getting into music. Like my folks listened to music. My dad always had classic rock on the radio. So I kind of had the opportunity to check out, check out some of that stuff like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. And also being at that age, I, had the privilege of like having YouTube so I could look up these songs and then from there find other different kinds of songs like it. And there was all these different degrees I could go in for like, okay, I listen to Led Zeppelin and now I discover this band, which takes me to this band. And it was just, you know, so much information to take in. Yeah. That's amazing. It's funny as, as you're talking, I'm going, man, I would have killed to have, to had YouTube and the streaming services when I was, when I was coming up, because I mean, it was really hard to find a lot of that stuff and it'd be these random PBS shows that would be on or just sort of these random late night shows. And then of course, much music and and MTV came on the scene and uh, that started exposing things, but you really had to dig. I mean, you had to, you know, trade records with people and chat music and read the magazines to really kind of, and now I'm kind of going, wow, there's just such a vast, resource of of music and that's the cool part is like that sort of finding out who played with who and and where everybody started so um, oh yeah yeah so so it sounds like a pretty uh pretty wonderful childhood and adolescence years yeah i had a lot of fun and it was nice to kind of stumble into music like i took piano lessons when i was like a lot younger but i didn't really get into it like i always remember I didn't like reading music, but I could kind of watch teacher's hands and, and mime back. So she would take the book away and I'd be kind of be, oh, I don't really know. I didn't realize that I was kind of playing it ear from that point. So oh, cool. eventually that kind of dwindled away. And then I found my way back into like, okay, I'm going to try guitar because, you know, 
being at that age, 13 or 14, and you're listening to Led Zeppelin, it's like, I want to, I want to play guitar, you know, keyboards aren't that cool. Yeah. And then after playing guitar, getting into that for a while, I, through high school, it was like, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guitar players. Everybody wants to play guitar and I still can play a little bit of keyboard. So that kind of opened it up to, well, maybe I'll play some keys and maybe I'll try the bass out and, and just see what I can do, what sticks, you know? Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, there really are. Everybody plays guitar and it was tough to find bass players. Um, but having a st- standout keyboard player is great. I mean, it's, you know, Stevie Winwood and Traffic and and different guys over the years. Um, I think it was a, probably a, a bold move and a good move on your on your part. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so what about siblings and other other influences musically there in the, in the household and parents and friends and well, I, I've got one uh, older sister, and she played piano with, as well. But again, it wasn't really a passion; didn't really stick. My my dad played a little bit of trumpet in high school, but again, not really. I'm kind of the only one who really felt like the music was the passion for them, you know. So again, having some friends in high school, like when I was in uh, grade nine. I definitely spent a lot of time in the music room, and, and there was a chapel at my high school where they had a piano, so I would wander off and you know go spend a lot of time in there and play in there because the chaplain always let me just hang out and even if it meant missing class sometimes or being late and uh but then i i was in the they had like a a jazz band in high school that i found my way into and and different sort of music projects and finding certain people who were into the same things and and you know people those kind of people come and go and you find different interests but i always just try to stick to okay what's what's making you feel connected what what kind of what's feeling right to you you know right right what were what were some of the uh i mean you mentioned some of the bands and and things you were discovering and listening to but was there one band in particular or one artist in particular that really grabbed you and kind of said yeah this is what i want to do or is it just sort of a process of really realizing through different things that you know music was what you were meant to do a bit of both like I remember always really digging into Steve Winwood because I would see those videos like 1965 when he's like 15 or 16 playing with Spencer Davis group and being like, Oh my God, this guy's incredible. And he's the young guy. And in the middle of high school, I started getting gigs with guys who were 30, you know, years older than me um, playing pubs and whatnot. And I always kind of felt like, Oh, I want to be the, the Steve Winwood, you know? And, and so that was always really inspiring. And I remember reading an article from Steve Winwood from when he was in the Spencer Davis group. And he said, you know, I want to be able to sing like Ray Charles and I want to play Hammond like Jimmy Smith and guitar like, uh, you know, Screaming Jay Hawkins or, no, uh, you know, T-Bone Walker, one of those guys. And it was like, yeah. I thought, yeah, that's a great, like, what a great attitude and what a great goal to have. So I kind of thought the same thing. I want to just make a really good effort to, learn as much as I can about all these different things. So definitely Steve Winwood. I always loved Ray Charles. There was nothing like listening to Ray Charles sing and through that finding Joe Cocker. And and again, just feeling like, Oh, okay. This is really making me feel connected to something. Nice. Nice. Now, have you seen Steve Winwood or Joe Cocker or Ray Charles and those guys live? I saw uh, Steve Winwood once at, uh, I think it was one of those, concerts where it was like half was tom petty half was steve winwood right right well, that would have been uh, awesome that was great and he was playing bass pedals there was no bass player so 
you know, I think there was a, he would get up to play guitar and I can't remember if it, I think it was the percussionist or the sax guy would go over and play organ and cover the bass on the pedals as well. Yeah. So just to see that happen always fascinated me too. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to seen him and Clapton touring together. That would have been an, an amazing when they did that sort of, I mean, Clapton went back and started getting the, all these reunions with all these former bands. And I mean, he played in so many over the years, uh, but I know he was a massive Stevie Winwood fan really still looks up to him. Um, and he is a hell of a guitar player too. And, and, and vocalist. Oh, songwriter. Yeah. Um, I saw Ray Charles at Lulu's years ago. That was very cool. Um, oh, that would have been great. Yeah, it was amazing. And Joe Cocker as well. I saw him before he passed. Um, so what about the Hammond uh, B3 and the Hammond organs? Like when did you first get to play your, your first Hammond organ? And when did you, when did you actually get your own organ? Well, there was uh, Bobby O'Brien's downtown Kitchener was, I think used to be called the still. Right. And they had yeah. a Wednesday night blues uh, jam for years that had a great house band, you know, it was Dave Rodenberg and uh, Jimmy Boudreaux, John Lee and Sean Kellerman. And so John Lee was the organist there. And one of the friends I had in high school, his mom uh, is Cheryl Lescombe, who's a fantastic singer, you know, sang with everyone, just, just a super talent, of course. And so she knew that through her son that I was getting into playing music and, and she said, okay, well, you got to come out to the still on Wednesdays because they have this jam here. And so I went out and I saw, and I was still kind of mostly playing guitar at this point, but I saw this big wooden box on stage with this cabinet that had something spinning in it. And I thought, well, what the hell is that? She goes, Oh, that's, it's a Hammond organ and a Leslie speaker. And I thought that's, that's really cool and bizarre. So and through that, I got to meet John Lee and John Lee's kind of the reason that I play the Hammond organ because I saw him playing this and I knew the sound was familiar through listening to, again, Winwood and Steppenwolf and those bands, Deep yeah. Purple. So when I decided that I was kind of getting back into playing keyboards a bit, I, you know, talked to John Lee, who's a wonderful man, an interesting character, you know, and I said, hey, like, I'd love to learn about this. So my mom would drive me to the bar on an afternoon and John would show up and uh, we'd hang out on the stage and he would show me this and that. And, you know, okay, try this for a bit, try these chords. And then he'd go have a smoke and have a couple of beers and then come back and show me this. And then, you know, it was, it was a great education, you know, just learning from that guy. And he's, John's played with Dutch Mason, Matt Minglewood, all these greats, you know, Mel Brown, he played with for years. So that was my introduction to the Hammond organ. Yeah, oh, what a great way to get to get introduced to it. Yeah, I mean, I've been following uh, John Lee since the early Mel Brown days. Uh, we used to go out and see them weekly at the Jam at Pop the Gator, and um, you know, in the in the original Blues Festival at Frog Hollow, and and all those things. And actually, John played on my album as well. He did a couple of tracks, um, and when we were trying to get in touch with him, he mentioned, um, "Well, Matt's got all these." I- uh, Hammond B3 organs you know I could probably do the tracks at his place and send them in when we, you know but uh, we had did we did end up getting them actually into the studio and and actually Cheryl played on or sang on a couple tracks as well so I was a huge fan of Cheryl since since my teenage years in Grand Bend when I first caught her at a bar there um, so yeah it's 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 we've been really blessed in this town with with the uh, with the history of of musical artists and and things that we've had groups and solo artists and it's really been a a major, major music center for years. I mean, you know, and certainly recognized as a major blues center. 
Um, so in those, those weekly jams, it's just a great way for guys like you. And every couple of years, I see this new hotshot musician come on the scene, guitar player, keyboard player, singer. And it, it's really very cool to see that these guys are nurturing that and, and keeping it going. And now the next generation is doing that as well. So, Oh, um, for sure. So when did you, when did you first uh, sort of start singing? I mean, so obviously the music thing was there pretty early and guitar and keyboard. And uh, when did you first sing on stage or just, or kind of realize that, Hey, I've actually can do this. I've got a voice. Well, um, there was a, a place downtown Kitchener. I, I don't know. I, it might be closed now. It's called Tri-City Music. And the guy who worked there named Robert Reed. Yeah. yeah. And he worked as a, uh, uh, he taught guitar. And I had been introduced to Robert through Cheryl. So a combination of Robert and Cheryl were the ones who got me to start singing. Because Cheryl was always saying, well, you can't just be a, if you want to work, you got to be able to sing. Because then you can go and, and play by yourself, you know? Right. And uh, so she introduced me to Robert because Robert was putting this show together at uh, the gig theater, which is now Apollo theater, you know, about uh, just a a night of local talent kind of thing. And uh, Cheryl thought, oh, you should go talk to Robert because you should be part of this. So I went and played for Robert. um, And, uh, you know, he was kind of, yeah, you sound great. Do you sing? And I said, I've been singing a little bit, but not very, you know, confident and proud about it and uh he said well if you're going to be a guest you got to sing and uh i remember my dad came pick me up and i, I got in the car and he said well how did it go you know what's going on and i said well he said if i got to do it i got to sing and that was kind of like the, the kick in the ass of like okay you got to do this man and i was terrified and but i got up uh i, I decided i was going to do it and i worked on it and uh and that was the first time i sang on stage was that night oh wow, good for you do you remember what song it was I sang uh, Up on Cripple Creek. Nice. I think I sang Georgia on my mind. And there was one, uh, and I'm a man. Or no, it was Give Me Some Lovin', Spencer okay. Davis Group, which is funny because it's kind of like this little picture of all the things I was into at the time. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That's awesome. I get, I get hear it.
it away um and then so how did you leave that night i mean feeling pretty confident about that and saying hey this is uh and something i need to start working on oh yeah for sure after that just you know again terrified on stage and feeling like oh you know does this sound any good and, and, and but then afterwards feeling like okay i yeah this feels great i gotta do this i gotta find my voice within it you know yeah. Was singing and playing a challenge for you at first, or were you kind of always doing that at home anyways? And it's just, you hadn't really done it publicly. Um, I think like anything, it, it, it took time. Probably. I don't ever remember being too aware of, of, Oh, this is, this is a real challenge. I, I think when I had to sing more complicated things, I just tried to simplify what I was doing on the instrument and right. let it grow naturally to the point where, Oh, this feels comfortable. Okay, I can start doing more and just letting it grow, you know? Yeah, yeah, cool. And what, so what about songwriting and original songs? When did you first get the the bug to, to write your own songs? or And did it start with kind of writing lyrics first, music, or just kind of jamming around? Um, I played with some guys in high school and and, uh, and we, we would start to jam and, and uh, there was kind of a, a call out for like, okay, well, we, we should start writing some of our own tunes. And I remember taking a couple stabs at that and just try not to overthink it and just write some things down that didn't sound like pop music, you know, actual thoughts. And yeah. uh, not that pop music doesn't contain actual thoughts, but I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, and then from there, it, it just kind of kept growing. And I, I, I try to keep writing and you know, the, the back and forth of it. I, I remember patches of writing a lot and then going, ah, oh, this, this sucks. You know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. And then kind of throwing it out and leaving it and then trying again and, and just back and forth, you know? Yeah. And what about songwriter influences? I mean, and obviously Stevie Winwood was a big musical influence. Was it the same for songwriting? I mean, he's a great songwriter, of course, but were there other people that kind of, you started shaping your style of songwriting, um, 
or started informing your style of songwriting or again was it just sort of a collective stew of all these influences and musics and and artists that you're listening to i guess it was a bit of a stew i uh i remember thinking i don't want to just write stuff that sounds like something else you know which kind of led me to writing at the start kind of like almost more like Dylan songs where I would just have an idea about a a phrase that I liked and then start writing it around that, even if it didn't really mean anything. But I remember the thought of trying to write a specific kind of song to fit into some hole would be, I didn't like, it felt too contrived, I guess. But again, that was kind of from there, I would go, well, what am I even writing about, you know, and, and throw it aside for a while. But yeah, I guess it was more the idea of, I liked, I liked the, the poetry sound, sound of things you know like trying to write a song that had some lyrics that made me feel a certain way even if it was less about the content of the lyrics but more about how the words sounded or you know kind of painting an overall picture with a phrase nice yeah um do you remember do you have some of those still those early songs did they make the cut are they still songs that you play today or is it uh, do you have recordings of those songs and look back and go oh those are pretty good or is it kind of like oh my god that's (laughs) Well, I, 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 that's almost a kind of a, an issue I have is like, I keep everything. I, I have a really hard time throwing out. So I've got books and books of songs and, 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 uh, you know, files from 10 years ago of songs that I made. And I rarely listen or look at any of them. I probably should, because there might be stuff in there that I like now that I didn't yeah. like at the time. But uh, I try to, if there's a, if I'm playing somewhere and someone asks for a, a song that I've released and, and would like to hear, I always make a good effort to do it, but I, I do like to try to stay in, in what's going on now. You know, right. some, yeah. a, a bunch of people, my, one of my favorite ideas is that an album is, is like a picture of where you are at that place in, in time in life, you know? Yeah. So I like to try to, Hey, if I'm writing songs, now it'd be nice to try to play them now or do something with them now so they don't start to feel old or feel like a different time you know but having said that again if someone asks for a tune that i wrote 10 years ago or five years ago and i can play it i'll play it for them for sure but yeah i try to like to kind of stay where i'm at at this place on this day when i'm doing that kind of stuff you know you do a lot of co-writing as well or is it mostly on your own or it's mostly on my own i've always struggled a bit with with co-writing because i feel like if i'm writing something that's that's really good in my mind then it's going to be pretty personal or come from a place that's sensitive in one way or another so and i've always been a bit of a person who has a tough time connecting in some ways with other people so the wall of fear kind of builds itself up sometimes where it's like well i I think this is a great lyric and someone else doesn't get it. And it's like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to work then. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes I've got a picture in my head that I know the song should feel like to me. And I have a hard time getting away from that. It's probably something I could work on, but yeah, it's, it's always been a bit of a struggle for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's tough for a lot of people. Uh, and I guess it depends what you're writing for. I mean, if, you know, the hit makers, I mean, they'll collaborate in groups and especially with country these days you'll see like six seven eight names on a song i don't understand it but uh yeah yeah, i don't know if i could write in that environment either uh i i think i found one or two co-writers that i click with and but yeah you have to be open and you have to make some compromises sometimes and um i mean i figure you can always go back to that song and play it the way that you wanted to if, if you don't like the version that you came up with but um 
so what about when you're with with the bands like Lumberjunk, Romeo Sex Fighters? Um, like, is there the band songs? I seem to remember it was that way too. That was maybe you know this was my song and this was his song, or were there some collaborations and co-writes with the bands? So with Lumberjunk, a lot of the time I would bring in a song that was kind of the shell of a song, an idea, and I had some ideas behind it, and then we would kind of flush out the instrumentation as a unit, you know. Right. A couple songs where uh, Daryl, who's the guitar player, would come up, okay, I think this is a good chorus for this. But I would try to kind of bring on ideas from the start and then see how it fit with everyone's style of playing and if this needed to be moved there and then move forward with the songs like that. Cool. And then as for Romeo Sex Fighter, we've tried to do some writing before, but we've, you know, it's been mostly, hey, let's go have some fun playing tunes that we like and, yeah. and give people a good time. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mostly covers uh, and great job at that too. Because I mean, we need to not forget about some of those amazing classic songs and the newer songs as well. Um, so you've got. I'm just looking at um, on on Spotify. Uh, you've got a new album, or an album was out in 2017. Another one in 2020. Um, then your latest single, "He Don't Need Love." Um, You've you got uh, more singles coming out, another album coming out, or is that sort of the the latest album that? Uh, I mean, I, I'm assuming that you're always working on music, and that you've always got sort of a a bank of songs that uh, that you can kind of develop and produce and release. Yeah, that's kind of been it. It's like I put out so yeah, uh, a bunch of songs. I I got twelve or fifteen or something like that of of songs that I've started at home that are all finished to a different degree, you know. And then I said, okay, I'm just sitting on them now. I got to start putting them out. But I find it really difficult these days to what is the best way to put out material, you know? Yeah. So I thought I'm going to go one at a time for now. So I put out, you don't need love. And I put it out on Bandcamp with the attempt of, hey, if you want to support me as a artist, Bandcamp's a great way to do that because they got their Bandcamp Fridays, the first of every month where they don't take any money from what people pay for something. Okay. So I put that one out uh, on there at the start of uh, October, November, maybe. I can't remember. And then I put it out on Spotify afterwards because, again, I've got music on Spotify and and there's a, a, a group of people who listen to it. But I'm always back and forth with, okay, marketing business brain says, yeah, that's the best chance you're going to reach the widest audience to an extent if your music is on Spotify because most people have it and consider any other option to be a bit of a uh, a pain almost to like, okay, am I going to have to download a, a Bandcamp app or am I going right. to have to download this MP3? They, they kind of made it the most convenient with Spotify. But as you know, I'm sure, unless you're getting hundreds of millions of song lessons, you're not making any money. No, you're not. So I did that song on Bandcamp and then I put it out on Spotify. I figured, okay, let's, I can take a look at the numbers. Let's see if anybody's even listening to this. And, but it, you know, it still costs, like I probably broke even nearly on the money I made putting the song out on Bandcamp and then how much money it costs me to go through a, a distributor to get it on Bandcamp or Spotify, you know? Right. So then I released another song, started December maybe called Push It Away. And I put that one up on Bandcamp. And then I kind of had that thing of like, oh, do I want to put this out on Spotify? And I'm, I'm, I have a hard time sometimes planning too far ahead with that kind of stuff. So I got another one that's nearly done that I'm planning on releasing at the start of February, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Sometimes when I plan too much stuff, 
it, it gets all, I go, okay, what am I doing? I've lost the plot here kind of, yeah. you know, but I, I don't know what the right way of doing things, you know, releasing your music these days is. I'm just kind of trial and error at this point. Here's Tired by Matt Whitinger. Well, I open my eyes to the morning sky, but I'd rather keep them closed. Every time I try to start something, my weakness is exposed. And I do my best to hide it, but I know it always shows. Cause I'm so damn tired. A hundred cups of coffee to help me stay awake, and I smoke a hundred cigarettes to get me through the day. Don't think that you are helping if you've got something to say, cause I'm too damn tired. Now I'm tired of being young, and I'm tired of feeling old. Everything's been done, and I'm too tired to break the mold. Guess I should've listened to the things that I was told But I'm too damn tired of being told And I'm so damn tired of trying to make it on my own Yes, I'm so damn tired of being here alone So I'll waste another day see what difference it'll make Cause I'm so damn tired broken, the weight that's in my head, and my heart is being crippled from the things I left unsaid. I'm leaving another sleepless night will slowly leave me dead, cause I'm so damn tired. I could try to find a reason to wake up every day. I could write down all my problems, but on paper they would stay. I'm so damn tired Well, I'm so damn tired Yes, I'm so damn tired oh, I'm so damn tired Hi. 
This is Matt Weidinger, and you're listening to Musicians FAQ on CKMS 102.7 Radio Waterloo with your host, Stuart McKee. Yeah, I, th- I think it's still it's still changing and, and developing so rapidly. I mean, um, and I was like that initially. I mean, but now I've got a few friends that are putting stuff out on band camp, so I'm starting to kind of consider that too. And yeah, I, I find it seems to be a lot of things you can do with that too, marketing merchandise and, and, and different things. So um, I think maybe that's just the way people are going to go. I think if there's enough sort of news out there about how artists aren't making money, and I think it is pretty known, at least to the music community. I don't know about the listeners that are strictly just listeners that, you know, yeah, the money is tough um, on these major streaming platforms. And if you really want to support people, this is a way to go. I mean, well, and, and it's interesting. It, it always, I, I have this conversation with a lot of my music friends and, and people in general about just the technology and it, at the, the pace it's moving at and what it does to people's attention spans. And yeah. You know, uh, people have been telling me, oh, you should go on TikTok. And, and I, I kind of feel like I don't know if I really want to be part of it. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it necessarily for anyone. But I just I feel like uh, the things that would probably succeed like they do in a lot of social media and technology are things that get your attention quickly yeah. and that you want to come back for and see again. But a lot of the things I like, like the two and a half hour movies or the seven minute yeah. songs, it's like, that's, so I don't want to change myself in order to fit some mold. And I always want to be true to myself, but it feels like sometimes that's, I'm in order to do that. I'm not losing out on opportunities, but I'm, I'm just not giving myself the advantages that are out there, but yeah. I don't necessarily want to be part of that, I guess. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, and and I've gotten on TikTok. I got on because of my son, and it was kind of, um, you know, apprehension on my part as well. Like, do I want to be part of that? And I've actually really enjoyed it because I find it's everything. I mean, it is a lot of quirky stuff and quick clips, and it's a lot of, um, you know, as all things in social media, you got people who are serious, people who are, are not serious, people who are controversial, and then people who just or into music again for me if i'm going through if it grabs me in the first 30 seconds i'll listen all the way through um yeah. and, and there are people putting out longer stuff that that i'm like oh this is cool because i'm the same way i love the long songs and you know my newest single is less than two minutes but my last one was almost five minutes so <laughs> you know yeah. I think you, you just do what you do and 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 and, and hope yeah well, for sure there's a there's a constant question in my head of like what is success you know and I feel like I'm lucky now and I'm successful, but it's like, I go between really trying to look into what's the best, best way to get ahead. Like what, what are all the people on right now? What, what platform or what's the thing that's going to get through to the most people. And sometimes the more I go down that rabbit hole, the less I realize or know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. And if yeah. I come back to like, how can I pay the bills? How can I, how can I feel like I'm inspired creatively? How can I, reach people through music to help them how can i have fun playing music you know when i focus more on those things i feel like i'm i'm doing what i should be i guess but yeah. then you always have people and it's always coming from the right place i know but they're you know well, you just need to find a manager or you just need to why don't you go on the voice you know why don't you do one of those tv <laughs> show things and it's like i know it's coming from a, a good place and, and they yeah. mean well but i'm going well, 
it feels like the opposite of everything I love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. And I'll watch the voice in American Idol and, and I'll just, I'll fall in love with an artist and I'll go, man, that, that guy or that, that, that woman's so cool. And, but I'm going, but yeah, they shouldn't be on this show. They don't need this show. I mean, they're already there. Like they've already, they've already, they're already an entity. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but I mean, I guess it probably does open up the audience to them. And you can tell with some of them, they're just kind of cringing and they're fighting the judges on the feedback. And you can tell they really don't want to be in that box. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's cool, too, because, I mean, I, I think I appreciate people outside the box more than inside the box. But uh, um, so on that note, where so we can find you on Spotify, Bandcamp, uh, Instagram, um youtube of course uh anywhere else or anything else you want to sort of promote at the moment um no I'm, I'm on facebook too and i've been trying to yeah with all those platforms trying to put out uh new original music and i love to do some videos of doing some cover stuff as well so yeah any of those really work if you want to just check out what i'm doing and what i'm up to Nice, nice. Well, we'll definitely get some of the, some of your music on the show. So this was a questionnaire. I don't know if you've actually seen it or heard it before, but I was a big fan of watching the actor studio every week, and they would interview uh, different actors who would come up through the actor studio. And this was a questionnaire. It was actually developed by Bernard Pivo, who's a French um, interviewer, and then made famous by James Lipton, who was uh, the the head of the actor studio. And I think he just passed away last year, as oh. we're losing so many of these icons. Um, so first question, Matt, what is your favorite word? I would have to say viscosity. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love that word. It reminds me. I don't know. feels good to say. I like it. Yeah. Reminds me of grade nine auto shop. Uh, least favorite word. Probably have to be puberty (laughs) because it's just so it just, yeah. Everything that goes along with it. Just, it's an awkward word to say and it just feels awkward. Yeah, isn't that funny? I mean, it really is an awkward word. As you're saying that, I'm thinking right away, I'm thinking, oh, God, yeah, it was an awkward time, awkward word. Yeah. Uh, what turns you on creatively or spiritually or emotionally or all three? Um, I think like human kindness and just real human intent, you could say. So like, you know, the less we're connected, the less I feel like people have a hard time uh, treating each other like humans, you know what I mean? But when I see simple acts of kindness, whether it be out driving and somebody lets somebody in or somebody yeah. holds a door open or, you know, just that kind of stuff, that always makes me feel like, ah, oh, okay, this, the world is a good place, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you watch the news too much, we forget that, but uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what turns you off? kind of the opposite of that selfishness, I would say, you know, watching people drive like idiots and watching people be mindless and, and not, you know, walking down the street and not sharing the sidewalk and just that really simple ignorance that we're all guilty of from time to time, but you know, the wrong day that makes me furious. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, All right. So favorite curse word. Oh, it's well, I have to say my favorite curse word is one I don't wish to say right now. All right. And it's one that uh, you can often hear in British or Australian uh, culture. And it's often used as a, uh, it's a familiar kind of nice word between friends or, you know, someone you like, if you right. get what I'm going after here. Yeah. But uh, used in that way, I, it's my favorite. Beautiful. Uh, all right. What sound or noise do you love? I'd say the, the the sound of when the coffee maker is almost done. You know, it's been sitting for a while and it's kind of bubbling away and you just know 
it is a warm cup waiting for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's something magic about that. I, I was racing this morning just to get my coffee and after dropping my son off before the interview, I thought I got to have my coffee. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? I would say the sound, uh, the noise I hate would be uh, one of my teeth accidentally grind together. And there's that high pitched, like, you know, you're chewing on something and all of a sudden they grind and it's, it's like right in your brain. Yeah. Something wrong about the teeth grinding together in general. That's crazy. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, part of me feels like I'd like to do something that was like, you know, really kind of simple, but something physical labor where you just could show up and there was a bunch of hard work you had to do in the morning. And then at the end of the day, you could see it was done and there wasn't too much social interaction or, you know, thinking about sure, you know, like be an artist where I was thinking about creative stuff and, and, things that aren't tangible necessarily. So I love shoveling the driveway. I love mowing the lawn because it's like, I just get into it and I do it and I feel good and it's done. So I've always thought about something like that. I'd probably hate it after a day or a week, but there'd be something about it I would enjoy. Yeah. It can probably often become monotonous or or treachery, but sometimes it's a nice escape. And it's funny, I've been doing a lot of snow shoveling lately and I love mowing the lawn or just sometimes just tuning off and cleaning the house and doing the dishes. But yeah, you yeah. don't want to do it every day. No. <laughs> I, well, I worked in restaurants for years too, and I found it'd be the same thing. Sometimes I just wanted to get away from making decisions and thinking and talking to people. And I just go back and work in the dish area for an hour and, you know, s- slam things around and scrub pots. And it, it was great. <laughs> it was, yeah, it centers you, eh? It does for sure. Um, what profession would you absolutely not like to do? Uh, something dealing with uh, people who aren't satisfied, you know, like whether it be in the service industry or, uh, you know, one of those jobs where you have to deal with people all day and you know you're going to be dealing with some people who are having a bad day and I would not be good at that because I'd probably say what I thought and get fired, you know? <laughs> well, you know, making music, you're probably dealing with that. It's just that you're probably making everybody's day brighter. So, you, you know, the people that have had a bad day, they come out at night to see you play at the pubs and, well, hopefully soon when they open again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people listen to music is just to escape that bad day. Absolutely. Uh, so you're there for a purpose. Um, and if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, oh, maybe that my presence and my actions made things good for other people and, uh, you know, good effort, something along those lines. Nice, nice. Well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly what you will hear. Hopefully, not for a long, long, long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I know you, you, you've certainly uh, inspired a lot of people locally, and as I said, put a lot, a lot of smiles on a lot of people's faces. And hopefully, you'll be making music for a long time because, as I know, speaking for myself on behalf of a lot of people, uh, we love, we love hearing you play, we love seeing you play, and uh, thank you so much for taking time to do the show today, Matt. It was an absolute pleasure, man. Oh, my pleasure as well. Thanks for having me, Stu. All right. Cheers.
the title track from Matt Whitinger's 2020 album, Breakage. And we've got a few minutes left still, so I thought I'd play a clip from the conversation Matt and I were having before the show. Just some casual chat with a couple music fans. Thanks for tuning in to Musicians FAQ this week. I hope you join us again next week. Morning, Matt. How's it going? Good, man. How you been? I'm doing well. Hey, you got the same, uh, the jam, the poster oh, behind you. I yeah, got that, that, one too. that thing's ancient. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think my my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, I think she probably bought that for like a first year birthday when we started dating like 30 plus years ago. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been through the mill. I had to put a new backing on it. And I, I've lost, I think, the original uh, sheet that tells who everybody was. And it's funny because there was a point where I, I thought I knew everybody. And then my son started quizzing me, my 12-year-old son. And I got about 80%. And I'm like, shit, I can't remember the other, <laughs> some of these faces, man. Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. It, yeah, it's funny because I'll see that from time to time on other people's music room too, and go, "Hey, I've got that." And that's, uh, yeah, I've got I've got another one that's similar. Yeah, but not the. I don't know if it's it. It's got the faces again, but I, I don't know if it's a, a second one or it came out after. But yeah, I think I know which one. I don't know if it was Jam Two or if it was um, a different artist altogether. I think there was the same artist. I think he did like Jam Two or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember, but I know I've seen similar kind of things. Great idea. Yeah, it's funny how they just become so iconic. I mean, I've been really intrigued by your solo stuff. Um, it's just got such depth and soul to it. I mean, and the songwriting and and you play, it sounds like you're, are you playing most of the instruments yourself on, on, on the solo records? Well, the first two I put out, uh, the first one was just self-titled and the second one was called Breakage. That was, uh, I played all the keyboards and guitars and did some overdubs on other stuff, but those both featured Ben Rollo on drums and Mark McIntyre on bass, okay. who I've been playing with for a long time now. Yeah, yeah. And then once COVID kind of started, I was already kind of turning my basement into a bit of a studio. I say that lightly because everybody's kind of got their own studio, but sure, trying to make sure. my basement sound good. And, and, uh, and I've been playing all the instruments just for fun for a long time. So, but this last I've released two of the songs so far. This last bunch, I've I've done everything myself. Played the drums, played some horns and the bass, and kind of just gone in with that, you know, first McCartney album mentality of like, yeah, I I know what I what I hear and what I like, and sometimes it's not perfection. It's more about a feeling. So I'm I'm no session drummer. I wouldn't. I'd love to play drums on a gig sometime, but yeah. uh, you know, I just like. I'm, talking with myself it's my own little language so yeah no I, I i can relate i think a lot of songwriters can it's uh and i mean obviously that and that's sometimes the kind of thing that breaks up bands where that you know the songwriter hears something in their head and they they're driving everybody else nuts with you know play it like this play it like this i mean it's funny i was watching i don't know if you saw the beatles get back uh the oh yeah oh that was that was so cool well and it's funny because they were just interviewing the cameraman from that uh from that session and he was talking about you know, with Ringo as one person that nobody ever told him what to do. I said, well, that's not entirely true. Paul told everybody what to do at some point. Um, and Paul seemed to be like obsessed with kind of getting on those drum kits, that drum kit as much as he possibly could. And I knew that for years, you'd see pictures of Paul kind of doing some percussion stuff while Ringo was playing. And, you know, and then, yeah, like you said, on the first album, he just did everything himself. And uh, so it, it's, I think that's what I love about your music. It's got that vibe of, 
I mean, it's got that kind of 60s, early 70s vibe. I mean, it could be, you know, traffic or whoever. Um, it's just a eclectic mix of, of really cool stuff. Um, but it's, it sounds fresh and new at the same time, which is great. Because, I mean, that that's the music that I cut my teeth on and grew up on. And, I mean, I never want that that music to die. And some of it isn't so much even just the music itself. It's just the, the attitude around the joy of building songs and the creativity and, and, and the newness and the freshness, everybody learning studio stuff and, and creating um, as bands and individually. So that was really cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists. 